Hello and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by the score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined, as always, in studio by my fellow co-host, Jessica Sharo. What's going on? And Joe Wolfon. What up? Uh, we are going to split the podcast into two segments today. Uh, first half, we're going to talk about the very negative things, teams off to really poor starts and sort of what they should do um, to rectify that. And then in the second half, we're going to look at um, you know, who's the second best team in the West. Obviously, we know the Warriors are the best team in the world and no one's really going to challenge them this year. But who's the second best team? in the west and uh you know who's the third best team in the east because it seems like the raptors and the uh celtics are as advertised they're the class of the east however you know the bucks are coming up uh you know sixers are still kind of in the mix so uh we'll talk about that in the second half in addition to the make or miss segment which we will touch on a lot of uh, general subjects for the rest of the league but Let's start with the negatives uh, in Los Angeles, where it seems like it's nonstop drama, which um, I guess we should have come to expect, given that it was the Lakers and it was LeBron going there. But they were terrible on Sunday. They were just absolutely terrible. They lost the. They, at one point, they they were down forty-one to ten to the Toronto Raptors at home, and Kawhi Leonard wasn't even playing, uh, and they never really made a comeback. LeBron basically didn't play from the second half onward. He didn't play in the fourth quarter at all. Storms out. Goes to Diddy's birthday party right afterward. I mean, um, the Lakers just are wildly inconsistent from night to night. And this was probably their worst effort of the of the season so far. Yeah, and again, like I, I don't think it should be that shocking. Like, okay, sure, being down 30 points in the first quarter is shocking. But, like, the general night-to-night inconsistency and the way they play, like, should not surprise anyone. We talked about this ad nauseum over the summer when they made the moves that they made. Like, they've got serious holes with this roster. Um, they're not built to shoot or defend. It's uh, a like, problem. Yeah, that's that's a big problem. Um, and you saw the game against the Raptors, uh, especially, you know, what we've talked about with, with them needing to find a real big man here. Like, when JaVale McGee's not on the court and they went small, Serge Ibaka feasted. And, like, Serge Ibaka, for all of his talent and as, good, as well as he's playing early in the season, isn't exactly a low-post threat. Like, he doesn't have the most refined post game uh, offensively. And yet, when you're trying to guard him with Kyle Kuzma, or I think at one point Ingram was on him down there, like, you're going to get exposed. The only one who did a decent job on him when they went small was LeBron, because he's LeBron. Like, this team just has issues, and we knew that what these issues were, and I still think they'll f- somewhat figure it out because they have LeBron James, and their young guys, I do think, have a, a decent combination of skills. But by and large, this team is who we thought they were. They're going to be, I think, pretty average by the end of the year and just have enough of LeBron to get in the playoffs. I actually thought that Ibaka did, like, most of his damage against JaVale McGee in that game. Like, McGee... Hey, that's Defensive Player of the Year candidate, JaVale <laughs> McGee, as endorsed by LeBron. That's, yeah, that's I mean, that's how bad things right are in Los Angeles right now. And, and yeah. look, JaVale has arguably been the Lakers' second-best player so far this season, which is nuts. But uh, I think you saw in that game, like, he still has a lot of holes in his game, and one of them is just being able to defend in space. And, like, teams have had a lot of success just putting him in pick-and-roll. Like, he is not that good of a pick and roll defender like he he has done a good job i think protecting the rim um like coming from the weak side to block shots like he's been active uh and pretty energetic but like i just think like they're asking a whole lot of him right now and they don't have a, a lot of guys who can cover for him when he's having an off night now maybe tyson chandler coming in will change that a little bit but that's not going to be some cure-all that's going to fix what is wrong with this team right now like there are a lot of issues with this roster um and like fit is a big concern like cash was mentioning like they don't have a ton of shooting um and again like we talked about this in the summer like there is a formula that we have seen be extremely successful with lebron james led teams and the biggest thing i think is just to surround him with an army of shooters the lakers opted not to do that and then they pitched it as some revolutionary strategy that was going to unlock different parts of his game and like help him sort of ease into the twilight of his career, playing more off ball, playing out of the post, not being so kind of like dominant um, as a, a lead playmaker. And it just hasn't really worked out that way because like there are certain kinds of players who mesh with him better than others. And for whatever reason, the Lakers tried to, I guess, cut against the grain and it, it's not working out so far. I mean, this team probably is going to look different at the end of the season than it does now. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, it, we'll see, I guess, if they're willing to make a trade that involves one of their younger pieces. 
Um, before they decide to make a trade, because um, a lot of the pieces on the roster were just signed this offseason. So if you were going to trade someone like Rondo or someone like Lance or, I don't know, Michael Beasley or anything like that, A, they don't think they have much trade value, but B, like you can't even trade these guys until December. Um, could they make another move in the uh, head coaching department? I know that Magic Johnson just came out and said, we're going to ride with Luke till the end of the year. But, I mean, that was right on the heels of a report where – you know, it, Magic apparently stormed into Luke Walton's office and, and admonished him about basically, um, you know, not having his rotations right and, you know, being below expectations so, thus far on the season. Also, did you not think that, like, there, there was something underhanded about him saying that Luke's going to finish out the year? Because Walton has two years left on his deal after yeah. this season, right? So it's not, like, such a strong vote of confidence to say, like, yeah, Luke's going to finish out the year. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if he's feeling particularly comfortable on his seat right now. Right. Also, that was like two hours before they were down 30 in the first quarter. That's what I thought was funny. Like, he, Magic comes out and says, oh, like, oh no, no, we're not firing him, quote unquote, yet. Uh, basically. <laughs> yeah, unless something drastic yeah. happens. And then like, they're like down... going down 41-10 yeah. in the first quarter. Yeah. To a Kawhi-less Raptors team. Yeah. But, and I think that points to like a lack of sort of uh, preparation from the team. And I think if you were really going to nitpick Luke Wallen for what he's done so far, which I don't think he's done a great job so far, but... It's the rotations thing. He all often ends up with either both Lonzo and Ronald on the court at the same time, which is just a weird look, or like playing like a lot of Lance, which if Lance is not hot, you just got to take him out of the game, period. He's going to hijack the offense. Um, and sort of not surrounding LeBron with the young guys, I think that's probably where they're best. And then, so there's a rotations thing, which, you know, you can't really fully blame him because it is a new roster. Like, you would want to see new combinations to see what's going on in the first 10 games, but... I think the other thing is just, like, the Lakers, when you watch them, just have a lack of structure. Like, they don't... They're not very organized from a possession-to-possession basis. And so, when you do that, when you play such sloppy basketball, like, you're very liable to go on these big lulls where you give up a 10-point run, where you um, fall behind really early, like, 41-10 to after nine minutes, right? Like, that points to the fact that you're just not organized. You're not running a play time after time and if you look at defensively that's where the issue has really been I mean they're one of the worst defenses in the league I think that was what Luke Wallen's best asset was before this was that he got this young team to play defense right now they're not playing any defense I have a theory about that and I know like people will say like their offense isn't the issue like their offense will sort itself out and it's been mostly fine so far but the fact that they don't have like enough shooting to like space the floor around LeBron means that they're kind of having to play this like extremely high tempo style yeah. where they're probably gassing themselves out frankly like running every possession like running off of misses running off of makes um and it's been effective for them like they, they you know they've done a really good job of scoring in transition and semi-transition like that's the way their offenses function best and it makes sense given like their kind of limitations in the half court but like i feel like it's not really conducive to them uh, playing high level defense especially considering like the guy who's orchestrating it is 33 years old with like a ton of miles on his body. Yeah. Yeah. The, I do think it's interesting. Like what the fact that magic basically, well, he didn't come out and say it, but the report was that he wasn't mad about the record. He was mad about the fact that it didn't look like they had any system in place. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, will mention like the defensive end. If that was the biggest part of his issue, then I think he's going to look in the mirror and not look at Luke Walton because if you when Luke Walton took this job if you remember like what everyone was kind of praising him for the first couple of years was the fact that he had got this like young helter skelter team to buy into like a system and a structure and last season with a roster that no one thought was going to be anywhere near good defensively they ended up with a 13th ranked defense like a very like average to slightly above average defense and for a big chunk of the year they were a top 10 defense with a roster that had no business being there Mm -hmm. so there's like a track record here of Luke Walton being able to muster up something at the very least on the defensive end and then Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka go out and give him a roster that again is not fit to defend and even LeBron for as great as he is we know what regular season LeBron looks like on the defensive end the last couple years and it's not good so you know, sure, Luke Wallen has to take some of the blame for this, but I think a bigger portion has to go to Magic and Rob Palenka. And I think it's, like, pretty hypocritical for Magic to give Luke this roster after the work he had done the last couple of years and then look at the way they're struggling, especially on the defensive end, and say, well, there's no system in place here. Because there was a system in place, and the roster that you gave him kind of threw that to hell. Well, I mean, look, if you look at the construction of the Lakers, I think all the conversations over the offseason was, this roster, the supporting cast, doesn't fully make sense. 
in terms of a high-level playoff caliber team. However, if LeBron is able to step up and basically fill all the cracks, then yes, this team can be good. The issue is LeBron in October, LeBron in November, LeBron until basically until after the All-Star break doesn't want to actually do that. So I think that's why you see LeBron so annoyed every game because he's just kind of like, can you guys handle something? What can I? What can you guys do reliably, right? Like, like if when LeBron was in Cleveland, at least he could look at Jr. And be like, Jr. is gonna shoot reliably. He's not always gonna hit the shot, but he's going to go and get that shot. Kyle Korver's gonna go and get that shot. Tristan Thompson's gonna go and rebound, right? Like there were specific roles set up. Whereas like now, when LeBron's just playing, he looks kind of annoyed. Like he looks annoyed when he has to play defense. He looks annoyed when he has to run the offense. Like he's weirdly passive in a lot of these games. I mean. You know, on, on Sunday against the Raptors, I mean, he finished with 18 points. He only played 28 minutes, even though the, the Lakers did cut it to about 14 points with four minutes left. At that point, you might as well bring in LeBron and see what happens. But um, I don't think LeBron wants to do that much work this early. But it seems like the Lakers are in a place where, yes, they will need LeBron to be all out and give great effort from a night-to-night basis in order for them to not just make the playoffs, but have a good seeding in the playoffs. You don't want to make the playoffs and then be the eighth seed and lose to the Warriors in the first round. Like, that that's terrible, right? So, um, the Lakers are a mess right now. Um, the Cavaliers, who LeBron just left, are in uh, worse of a mess, which I think we could have all predicted. But uh, it's it's going on really badly. I mean, they they fired Tyron Lue, which, you know, I, I get it. I get it. Um, you know, he was playing the veterans against the, the will of ownership, and they were losing. But it seems very much like ownership and also Kobe Altman as the GM uh, thought this team was going to compete, then actually played games and was like, wow, we suck. We got to do something different. And that's caused a giant discord in terms of the entire organization. Yeah, like Kobe Altman's track record isn't great. Um, I don't think LeBron was the biggest fan of Kobe Altman either. Um, but that that team's a mess. And Will, you mentioned like, Ty Lu playing the vets mm-hmm. ahead of the youngsters, but every report is that uh, Dan Gilbert and Kobe Altman told Tyron Lue like they wanted to still win in the short term, and like they wanted to find this battle. Like they didn't want to tank; they wanted to go young while still winning and competing for a playoff spot right now. And okay, that works if you've got really like high upside youngsters that are pretty good already. The Cavs don't have that, so it was always asinine for them to expect this team to compete even like it was asinine for them to want the team to compete yeah, for like, sure they, they only the top 10 protected pick yeah they only off. keep their pick if it lands in the top 10 and yet they were striving for like basically mediocrity and and the worst possible finish that this team could have had because they would have probably like missed the playoffs or just made it and not kept their pick it would have been a disaster but anyway so i think they gave tyler like a very unclear mandate from the start and I just think in general, like, yeah, you know, they reportedly told Kyle Korver that if LeBron left, they'd try to move him or, like, figure out a buyout or something so he can move on and find a contender. And then LeBron leaves, and they're like, mm, actually, never mind, because we still want to compete and we want you to be a part of it. Like, there's just no um, – there's no – like, we talked about the Lakers not having a system on the court. The Cavs don't have a system off the court. Like, there's no structure. There's yeah, no top-down, like, this is what we're doing and here's how we're going to do it. Instead, it's like, well, we want to do this, but we also want to do this. And let's try to find this happy medium. And, again, it just goes back to the fact that for as long as Dan Gilbert has owned this team, and honestly longer, the Cavs have always been a joke, but the only thing this franchise had going for it was LeBron James was born in Ohio, yep. and they won the lottery a bunch of times. Because short of that, this team has made, like, maybe two or three good decisions in the last 15 years. It's and there's no planning that goes into any of it. No. it, it it's just like impulsive garbage, you know, and they make the they make these decisions like without having any kind of contingency in place. It's like six games into the season, like you had a, a whole offseason to decide whether you wanted Ty Lue to oversee this rebuild, right? Yeah. Or what should have been a rebuild, but I guess they thought of it as like a transition to another era of competitive basketball, which is obviously insanely dumb. And Six games in, they decide, nah, this isn't our guy. Like, we're not as good as we thought we would be, so we'll fire him. Like, no no contingency in place. Like, turns out they can't even get Larry Drew to, like, accept the official interim job. He's just the voice. He's the voice. Whatever the hell that means. Like, what are they doing? Like, it, And it was the same thing with David Griffin. Like, when his contract came up to be renewed, like, they tried to play hardball and, like, negotiate with him. Like end up letting him go, and then, like, again, like, just didn't have a plan for how they were going to replace him, didn't realize that that was going to, like, upset and alienate LeBron, and it was like, at the time, David Griffin, like, had deals in the works where he was trying to get, like, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, yeah, and... They had they, no GM in place when Kyrie was asking me to trade it. Like, you don't have a GM in place for your one... That's when they were still trying to compete for a championship. Exactly, yeah. 
Yeah, so it's... I mean, it's really frustrating. Obviously, like, this this team could, I think, be pivoting toward, like, a reboot cycle. It would be painful one way or another. But, again, like, what was the plan here? Like, was the plan in in extending Kevin Love to, like, increase his trade value? Or was it for him to be, like, a foundational part of their next competitive team? I, like, I just don't think there's any clarity here on what they're actually trying to do. Yeah, and oh. going back to that Kyrie trade... Um, the guy that the main piece that they got from that because obviously Isaiah Thomas didn't do anything for them Jay Crowder didn't do anything for them the one guy that actually they were really relying on was that lottery pick that turned out to be Colin Sexton which obviously is very early you don't want to judge a 19 year old this soon but it seems like the veterans on that team has already made a decision on whether or not Sexton is worth their time right um, you know there was a report out there from Joe Varno at the Athletic it's a great piece about what's going on in Cleveland where you know basically the vets took this position of Colin can't set up the offense, he doesn't know how to defend pick and roll, and he doesn't quote-unquote know how to play, which is completely understandable. And when you watch the games, it's absolutely true. But then again, he's 19 years old. But then when you look at Sexton, Sexton's thinking, well, all right, George Hill's offered to mentor me, but I'm not going to listen to him. It's like, well, all right, cool. I mean, I would get why, not li- why you wouldn't listen to George Hill. It's not like anyone comes in the NBA being like, I want to have George Hill's career. Except for maybe Malcolm Brogdon. I think he's like dead set on being George Hill. But, I mean... It's obviously a very weird dynamic because, like, Sexton is supposed to be the future of the team and, and sort of carry the, fu- the franchise forward. And, um, again, it speaks to their dysfunction, right? I mean, Ty Lue apparently was very close with Sexton and his family, and they've known each other from way back. And so there was a level of trust there. But then that guy gets fired. And now all of a sudden it's this 19-year-old in the middle of, of Cleveland where all the vets hate him, and he's not really good enough to prove otherwise, right? Like, I mean, what's the situation there? And, like, is, th- is that going to hamper him going forward? Yeah, one thing we haven't even talked about either is uh, I'm sure you guys have seen the reports and stuff with Jim Boylan. So, yeah. like, I think that's a very interesting, um, like, wrinkle in yeah. all of this because— Wait, set, set that up because I don't okay, think people so in actually Okay, so in case any of our yeah, listeners don't know what's going on, basically Jim Boylan, uh, I think— Used to be a head coach in the NBA, like, yeah. shortly. But he was uh, one of the lead assistants under Ty Lue in Cleveland. Um they decide they're not going to renew his contract or whatever it is. I think this was a couple of years ago. So they're essentially firing him. Um, you know, it happens with assistants. They don't have long shelf lives. And Ty Lue leaves a voicemail for Jim Boylan, letting him know that uh, Dan Gilbert and, I guess, Kobe Altman, it was when he had just taken over, were letting him go. But in the voicemail, tells Jim Boylan that they're letting him go because they want to go younger with their coaching staff. Mm. Jim Boylan is now using that voicemail from Ty Lue as the main piece of evidence in a lawsuit against the Cavs for ageism. Okay. Because wow. he is saying that he was qualified for this role and the only thing he was told is that he was losing it because of age-related factors. Mm. And, you know, he has a case that obviously we don't know. None of us are lawyers. We don't know all the details in the case. But on the surface, there is somewhat of a case to be made there. So a lot of people are speculating on Twitter, incredible people too, that... It's pretty interesting that Tyler was fired right around the time this is all coming to light now because from the organization standpoint, they might look at that as like, yo, you could have just fired him professionally instead of leaving him a voicemail saying that the reason we're firing him is because he's not young enough. Like there's, again, it's just, I, I feel like it's, you know, worth it for people to know that too, that there might be some mischief yeah. behind the firing of Tyler. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that the, the Cavs reneged reportedly on a promise to trade Kyle Korver yeah, yeah, if and when LeBron didn't re-sign with the team. Yeah. So he's there getting left out in the cold. J.R. Smith is out there asking for a trade, but... He's basically alienated from the team. He's basically exiled. Right. They're not going to play him because they need to play their young guys, but they can't yeah. trade him because his contract is untradeable. They're obviously not going to buy him out because Dan Gilbert's not going to want to eat that money for nothing. So he's stranded there like with basically no path to any kind of playing time mm-hmm. and no way to get himself to a better situation. So... Yeah, a bit of a mess in Cleveland right now. Um, I think it's safe to say. Honestly, right now, they're on pace to be worse than when LeBron first left them, man. And that was like, you know, Dan Gilbert writing the letter and saying, oh, we're going to win a championship before the so-called king or whatever. And then they won like 20 games after winning like 60 games. Um, Right now, they're 1-9. Or they're 1-8 or 1-9. I I can't remember. They're 1-8. Okay, so not not that bad. We'll see if they win the next game. Um, Probably won't. But, I mean... It's just, it's awful, man. Kevin Love's out for some time, you know? Like, if I were Kevin Love, I'd probably be like, I'm going to make sure I'm fully healthy. I got my guaranteed money. I'm not coming back early to this. Like, you know, like, he's 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 out for at least a couple of weeks here. Rodney Hood hasn't really taken the leap that 
Um, I thought some people hoped that he would have. He's averaging 13 points a game. He's basically been Rodney Hood for his entire career. He's still just an inconsistent guy. Jordan Clarkson is one of their main players now. Like, this this team is a mess. This team is just a mess. And then going to the Corver thing, I think that's probably the one part where it's just being unfair to Kyle Corver, right? I mean, obviously, you sign a contract, like, you're, you, you know, you're supposed to honor that contract. But, I mean, he signed that contract in 2017. He signs a three-year extension with the understanding, with Colby Altman, that if LeBron leaves, you guys are going to accommodate us in a trade. Not necessarily if, okay, if you're going to trade us, that's fine. If trade the team, that's the trade Kyle Corver, that's, that's not an issue. But you have to let me know because I have to move my family. I'm I'm Kyle Corbett. I'm 38 years old. I've done everything in the NBA, right? Like, all I want to do right now, I mean, especially because his family is going through a difficult time as well, I just want stability in my life. So if you can just do me that courtesy of either trading me in the offseason or keeping me throughout the season so I don't have to move my family, that's what all Kyle Corbett wanted. And right now it seems like, okay, they're just going to trade Kyle Corbett in, in December. Like, he, you know, they're just completely breaking that promise, which um, really is just another casualty of uh, the Cavaliers' um, dysfunction. Um, Unrelated, but speaking of teams that are kind of dysfunctional right now, uh, mm. breaking news that the Rockets are apparently bringing Jeff Bezdelic back out what? of retirement. What? Um, <laughs> so Who's got this? That Woj just reported that. Holy. Um, yeah. I so. thought this man retired to like, be with his family. Man, maybe it was a contract. Maybe he just like held out for more money or something. Because well, wow, this is this is the language from the from the Woj report. Bezdelic has resolved some family issues, and both sides are working toward an agreement for him to return to the team as a defensive coordinator. Wow. That is, man. <laughs> yeah. That's odd. You got to explain that one. Someone's got to explain something right That's... now, man. Maybe um... he just wanted them to like have a few games to like see how badly they needed it. Yeah. Like, to like really appreciate his contributions there. You don't know what you got till it's gone. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Jeff, Jeff, uh, the voice Bizdelic right here <laughs> asking for more money. No, but honestly, man, he probably saw like, okay, you guys added Melo in the offseason. I, I need another million to, to coach defense. If you if that's what you're gonna do, and they're like, mm, I don't know, um, but we'll talk about the we'll talk about the Rockets uh, a little bit later on the podcast. Uh, one of the other teams that we wanted to quickly touch on in terms of dysfunction, the Washington Wizards. Um, they finally got their second win of the year, so things are looking up. They're on a one game win streak right now. Um, they're two and seven on the season. They are uh, bad on both ends of the floor. They are 24th on offense. 28th in defense. I'm buying a little bit of time because I want cash to, to get some coffee. Buddy, I'm, lu- just... I'm lubricating my vocal cords right now because we're about to talk Wizards. All right, let's go. What's, what's wrong with the Wizards, Cash? Everything is wrong with the Wizards, and we knew this, man. Like, yeah, I, we, we did say all of this in the podcast. Uh, we Okay, I did this thing in the beginning of the season, like my season preview, and it's like 30 teams, 30 questions. And my basic point for the Wizards was like what if this is just who they are and this is like stop calling this team disappointing when they got off to a bad start or losing the first round or get the sixth seed stop calling this team disappointing when they have to have like a team meeting in Mm -hmm. November no disappointing is when you should be better and you're not guess what if this happens year after year this is who you are this is who the Wizards are they are a dysfunctional mess and their core players are not as good as you think they are John Wall, John Wall is supremely talented, yes. But how many years of John Wall giving like a half-assed effort on a lot of nights on yeah. at least one end of the court? Do we have to see before we realize? Oh, like John Wall actually isn't in the upper echelon of point guards because he doesn't bring it every night. Uh, Scott Brooks, like as a coach, okay, I know he had success in Oklahoma City, but like, come on, if anyone's like still looking to Scott Brooks as an elite coach or someone who's gonna like yeah. get more than he should out of a roster, you're on cloud nine. I don't have to get into Ernie Grunfeld and like his roster, man. Like we know his story. He's been the GM there for 15 years. They're in the 15 years under Ernie Grunfeld, the Wizards have the 23rd best winning percentage. And if you just go by the Eastern Conference, they are tied for ninth in terms of playoff wins. So like by wow. every measure, this team has been mediocre to well below average under Ernie Grunfeld, and he's kept his job 15 years. There's no accountability. The players show up after one quote-unquote disappointing year and talk about how they're like ready to like Dwight Howard said that before his debut and they ended up getting rocked by OKC at home Dwight Howard said that like he knows they're struggling right now but you know they're gonna put it together and like be the type of team that can win the east like what what is this team smoking what is it about putting on a Wizards jersey and working for Ernie Grunfeld and Ted Leonsis that like makes you be like this tear it down burn it to the ground 
contract the team. I don't know, but I'm sick of. Actually, it's great banter. I'm not sick of it. I was going to say I'm sick of talking about this team, but I, I secretly. Oh, love they're, it. they're great content. It's, they're, they're great content. It is unbelievable to me that this team could just keep coming back year after year, saying the same crap. Pointing fingers. Markeith Morris saying that they're still better than the Raptors and the Celtics. Like after they lose to them in the play, like, it's just. I just can't do it anymore. I'll do it if yeah. we have to because we get paid to talk about basketball and it's pretty cool. But, like, I don't really want to do it anymore with the Wizards. My favorite uh, quote to kind of, like, come out of that disastrous losing streak after that, after that loss uh, against OKC when they just, like, got throttled uh, by <laughs> 25 points, <laughs> John Wall was asked about just kind of, like, the lack of cohesion. And, he, and his quote was, um, yeah, you got a lot of new guys added, too. Let's not put all the blame on them. <laughs> like, no dude. one's putting the blame on them, John yeah, Wall. No one's saying We're Jeff putting Green the blame the on the guys that have been there for the last 35 years or however long you guys have been there. Like To even think that the media is blaming yeah. anyone but you and Brad and yeah. Otto and Scott and Ernie. Like, No, that's who we're blaming. Yeah. We're not blaming the new guys, you clown. Yeah, that, that's a yeah. – I mean, that whole loss to OKC was just such a – such a just a kick I'm in the I'm sorry Joe I just completely hijacked whatever you were going to say I was going to say exactly that maybe like not in quite a high pitched a high pitched voice but uh, I think you nailed it um, but like they just really like self awareness let's I, be real I think um, I, like man I, I don't know if, if John Wall is tradable on the contract that he's on like my instinct is to say that he's not but I also have to think that there is like some desperate middle of the road team out there right now that's kind of like not going to be able to attract a free agent anyway and like can basically like absorb the money and like deal with the consequences later on. Lakers. They, they should <laughs> they should one like 100% be trying to trade him. And and it's like you're talking about burning it down like salting the earth in its wake like you don't have to. You have to still have Beal. I think they can rebuild around Beal. Like Beal is really good and I think Honestly, I think he's been better than Wall this year. Like, I think he's yeah. good enough to be, like, a primary offensive initiator at this point in time. And, like, obviously him and Wall, like, that partnership is not working at all, like, either from a basketball standpoint or a personality standpoint. And if they can somehow find a way to get off of Wall's contract and, like, you know, rebuild around Beal, I think that team could start to make a lot more sense. But um, whether there's a deal out there... Uh, to be made for John Wall is um, obviously an open question. I, I agree that I think Beal can be um, the 1A-ish player like on a solid team offensively. Um, I think he honestly suffers from the same crap that John Wall does. Like I, I'm at the point where I'm kind of out on Beal too. Like mm. from a, Not from a basketball perspective, but from like whatever the Wizards are. Yeah. Um, the reason I'm out on Wall is now like the reason I'm out on Beal. I just think Beal it kind of falls under the same tree as a guy that, like, yeah, he's good and he'll do good things, but he Bradley Beal's the kind of guy that like like John Wall and like the rest of the Wizards seems to think he has like arrived in a certain sense when he really hasn't. It's like yes, you've arrived as like an All Star caliber NBA player, and obviously yeah. none of us can do that. I get it, but you have not arrived at the level you think you have. Yeah, and he just seems to suffer that same. And I know we've like had this conversation before the whole like confidence versus um, like just being content. And I just think it all bleeds into into each other. Yeah, you have to be confident, and you should go into games thinking that you can win them. But if you just show up thinking that like you guys are a great team when you're not, and mm-hmm. you know it ends up lending itself to like not showing up on a whatever night for a home game against a bad team because you just kind of like seem to think you're entitled to that victory and you're not. But I think just kind of trying to remove the toxicity from that locker room could probably go a long way toward like just like boosting everybody's morale and maybe like getting a better product on the floor because so much of it to me just comes down to effort. Like if you watch this team play defense, they just they they move through their defensive sets at like a quarter speed. What sets? They don't have sets. They just switch like randomly. They they switch everything, but it's like so imprecise. Yeah. Like they blow so many switches and and they just like lays through this stuff and they don't rebound and they don't have like off ball movement. Like when John, when John Wall is dominating the ball, like nobody is cutting, nobody's moving. And I think, I I don't know, man. I, I just think like if they remove that kind of like one toxic element from the situation, I'm not saying John Wall himself is toxic. It's just clear that like his relationship with the rest of this organization is not working. It's like fundamentally broken right now. Um, and I think, you know, if you put like give uh, Bradley Beal the reins and be like, this is your team now. And we feel like, you know, you're in a position to basically orchestrate like a more egalitarian offense and like set the tone defensively. 
Uh, you put the onus on him to kind of lead the way, then I think you're going to get more out of him. And I just feel like right now, like as long as Wall is kind of in his way, uh, that that's not going to happen. So, uh, um, going back to that OKC game, by the way, which I just I thought that that was going to be a big turning point for them, just because OKC you hadn't been playing that great of basketball and. The Wizards had just basically gotten their asses kicked all throughout the entire road trip. They had one fluky win against the Blazers where Marquise Morris like could not miss whatsoever, and they won by one point. Um, but they were basically winless on the year before that. They go into that game. Dwight Howard's back. You know, there's all sorts of Dwight Howard hype. And then, um, you know, before the game, Wizards owner Ted Leonsis walks into the locker room, and he reportedly showed everyone his Washington Capitals Stanley Cup uh, ring, I guess. I, I don't know how they put a cup on a ring, but there was a lot. And he was talking about how, hey, man, it's, it's a, someone asked him, like, oh, is that ring heavy? And he's like, yeah, it's got a hundred some odd diamonds on here. Of course it's heavy. What do you think? And then he was in there because, you know, he was trying to be like, hey, this is why we play the game. All right. He's trying to pull his Pat Riley of putting the sacks of rings on the table, except it was just one, you know, Stanley Cup ring, which, you know, respect to the, the Capitals. But it, it's it, they're not necessarily the model franchise, I would say. Um, you know, before you know they won the, the cup this year. But anyway, um, you know, he goes in, he gives his big speech, and he's like, "All right, go out there and beat up on these, uh, whiz- beat up on these uh, Thunder, and we're just gonna have a great year after this. We're gonna turn it all around." And then they lose by like twenty something points, even after Dwight Howard has like twenty three rebounds. They did, they did start that game up thirteen three though, so I do worry that Grunfeld got an extension in the first few oh, minutes Lord. of that game. <laughs> Another secret extension for Grunfeld. Man. Uh, but look, man, it, it's it's all. It's just a bowl of, like, toxic waste, So that franchise. And also, like, they should be very concerned. I know we don't want to overreact to, like, three weeks in, but I'd be very concerned about Otto Porter because yeah. he's, like, a big part of what they do, and I love his game. Like, if you're talking, like, 3 and D, this guy's almost as elite as it gets, and he's been awful to start the year. Yeah. And they've got him locked in. You know, he's going to make $27.2 million next year. He's got a player option for $28.5 million two years from now. So, like, if this guy... He's going to be better than this, but if he's like regressed in any capacity, which it looks like might be the case, that just digs them even deeper into a hole because John Wall's contract's already pretty much untradeable for the most part. And if Otto Porter, Porter has a bad year, you're not trading him anytime soon either. Like, there's there's just a lot of I wouldn't even call them question marks, just trash. Yeah, and yeah. I think the Wizards every year they pick a guy who they're just going to hate on. Like the whole entire locker room is going to turn on that guy, like it was Gortat for a while. And now it seems like it's Porter, man. If you look at the way Brooks and Beal and Wall have talked about Porter, it's not flattering. It really isn't. It's always like people ask, like, hey, why hasn't Otto Porter gotten more shots? And they'll be like, I don't want to answer any more questions about Otto Porter getting shots. He has to work better. Yeah, but like, it, that's not that's not a great response from your point guard. That's not a great response from your coach. And that's what I'm saying, right? Like this like level, this like sense of entitlement that for the most part is John Wall and Bradley Beal. Like it drives me nuts because even like, I know we're joking about it, but even the quote Joe brought up when, when Wall said, you know, like, ah, oh, like, well, the new guys, oh, I can't put too much on them. It's like, yeah, man, we get that. Like, yeah. it's clearly you and Bradley, and you guys <laughs> got to finally step up and, like, just take ownership of this thing. Yeah. Really poor attempt at a deflection. Um, I mean, if I was a Wizards fan, my biggest fear would be, like, they can't make a John Wall trade work, and so they trade Beal instead. Like, I, I think that would be would a horrible put it decision. Past like. He, he's, like, locked in for, what, three more years, four more years on, like, a much more manageable contract. Yeah. Um, he's younger, like, has less of an injury history. Like, I think he is the guy that they should be building around. And, like, how can they look at this situation and, and not come away realizing that it's not going to work? Um, I think they need to do something. And, and again, like, a, a wall trade is, seems unlikely at this point in time. So... I don't know. I don't know what other kind of moves they have to make. And maybe they dangle Porter and maybe he still has some trade value. Maybe they can get into the Jimmy Butler sweepstakes somehow. But, like, they need to do something um, because they're in trouble. We we should really just end this segment by playing the uh, – I'm not exactly the biggest Stephen A. Smith guy, but I don't mm. know. If, did you guys see him talking about the Wizards oh, yeah, a yeah. few days ago? Like, we got to find a way to just get that clip into this podcast. Yeah. Joe, did you see it? I know I did. It's – pretty entertaining these goddamn wizards i'm so sick of these wizards yeah. oh yeah, isn't that what cash like just so said two good. minutes ago <laughs> yeah like, my, my rant was it definitely better Stephen than Stephen A's. A. <laughs> all right we're gonna take a quick break right here and then on the other side of the podcast we are gonna focus on more of the positives happening around the nba Hey listeners, a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We also urge you to check out our other shows on the Scores Podcast Network, 
For baseball fans, there's Expand the Zone, Sweeper Keeper, covers the world of soccer, and there's the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. Please also download the Score app, where you can find all our feature content, live scores, and the most up-to-date breaking news. Thank you, and back to Pound the Rock. Welcome back to Pound the Rock. Still here with Cash and Wolfon. We are going to be a little bit more positive in the second half of the podcast, talk about some of the better teams in both the Eastern and the Western Conference. Obviously, the Warriors are the best in the West, but uh, Wolfon, who do you have as the second best team in the Western Conference? I have the Nuggets right now. I'm not like totally confident that's where it's going to stand at the end of the season, but to me, it's like kind of indisputable right now that they are playing like the second best team in the West. Um, and Look, I don't think that their defense is going to hold up to the level that it's played at so far. I don't think they're going to be a top-five team uh, at that end of the floor. But I also think that their offense uh, is going to be better than it's been so far. They haven't actually like shot the ball especially well. Um, and I've said this before. I just think that their pieces fit together really, really nicely. And like, they've surrounded Jokic with... with um, perfect complementary players. Uh, and, and the way that like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris play off of him, uh, the way that Millsap has kind of like helped rejuvenate their defense, even though his offensive game has kind of fallen off. Um, I just think that they have a really nice roster uh, that fits together beautifully. And, um, you know, I expect them to continue to be really successful. Well, you know, whether they continue to be uh, the second best team, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But, um, I just think they're playing really nice basketball. Like, they know who they are. Uh, they have, like, a really strong identity, I think, and they have uh, some continuity that I think is uh, is kind of helping make things a little bit easier on all their guys this year. Uh, okay, so you mentioned the defense. I think that's probably the most interesting part of uh, the Nuggets so far. Like, we've always known them to be, uh, you know, a run-and-gun type of offense. Like, they're really efficient, especially with Jokic uh, playing the way he is. Um, but defensively, I think that's the part where uh, no one expected them to be um, – they're currently the third best defense. They're winning a lot of games with their defense. Um, can that hold up even at an average level? Because I think if we all assume that they're going to be a top 10 offense, and then if they can just be an average defense, like that's already a really good team. Like, is that ultimately where their true talent is? I think that they can be average. Yeah, okay. I do. As, as long as they stay healthy. Like, you know, Millsap stays healthy. Like, Gary Harris stay, stays healthy. Like, those two guys alone, I think, make them a, a competent defensive team. Like, Gary Harris has been great. And, like, his ability to kind of check, like, larger wings, like, get his hands in passing lanes. Um, he's just such a smart defensive player. And, and Millsap, I, I just think, has, like, really helped them out as far as, like, uh, applying some semblance of ball pressure, which, like, they weren't doing any of last season when he was out. Uh, and I think Jokic has actually been better at that end of the floor. Like, he's never going to be... I don't even know if he'll be an average defender, but, like, if he can just hold his own, uh, you know, the rare times that he gets switched out, uh, obviously they're they're taking measures to kind of protect him and like keep him close to the rim as often as they can but I think he's moving his feet better this year than he has in the past and you know if they can just basically maintain competency out of him uh, I think the rest of the roster is going to be good enough at that end of the floor to kind of patch in uh, the gaps yeah and I think you nailed it when you said like Millsap and Harris's health to me is the biggest factor in whether they can kind of hold together an average defense just because those guys are their defense and like Millsap especially we saw what happened on that end of the floor when he went down last year but yeah if someone told you at the beginning of the year that the Nuggets would be um top three on one end and then like 11th on the other end you'd be like oh wow they got their defense up to 11th like solid they're gonna be really good and it's funny that it's their offense that's 11th and their defense that's third um Cash who do you got as the Second yeah, best. look, if I had to, I'd probably lean Nuggets, but to be a little different, um, I'll go with another team. And so I'll ask you guys, who is the only Western Conference team right now, top five, not top ten, top five on both ends of the court? Is it not Golden State? It is not. Wow. It is the Portland Trailblazers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, look, Portland, I, I kind of joked about this at the beginning of the year, but I said everyone's always off the Portland bandwagon at the beginning of a season and they think this is the year it finally falls apart and they don't have enough to stay in the West playoff race and then Dame and CJ go out and do what they do for 70 to 75 games each and the Blazers end up like not only making the playoffs but like in the hunt for home court by the end of it just because they're that good and that consistent um, and Terry Stotts is great and lo and behold everyone most people pick the Blazers like fall out of the playoff picture and here they are seven and three after 10 games with the number five offense, the number five defense, uh, they're like top two in rebounding percentage. They take care of the ball. Just everything they're doing right now, they're doing very well. 
Um, Dame's been great. CJ's been solid. Yusuf Nurkic has been really good for them. Yep. And I think, again, last year they 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 fixed their defense, but their offense fell off. And, like, the first two months of the season, they were, like, bottom 10 in offense, and it didn't make sense when you mm-hmm. look at the talent they have. And this year they've gone back to being the great defensive team, offensive team they are, sorry, while still maintaining that improved defense that they had figured out last year. And Nurkic is a big part of that. So, yeah, I just think they're – they're a very balanced team with a legit superstar at the top end of the roster and like a borderline all-star as their number two and like a solid two-way big man as their number three. And I like Stotts. I just like what they've got going. They've got a great home court. If they stay healthy. I think they're going to be once again in the mix for what I thought was going to be a top three seed. But if the Rockets continue to falter, then like maybe the Blazers actually have a shot at the two seed here. Yeah, you got to be really encouraged with Zach Collins's development i think off the bench he's been really really nice for them um really hyperactive defensively but he's very effective moves his feet well um and they're even getting surprising contributions from nick stauskas and jake layman who like no one really thought too much of them so far um you know coming into the year but like they've been really solid contributors like they're they're stretching the floor and i think they're um shooting and replacing guys like mo harkless and you know even some minutes come down from aminu and things like that like i think there's just a little bit more space for um them to play you know outside in which is basically how they play and um dame is also quietly having a comeback year too because he actually wasn't that good comeback year his first team all nba no, last no, but year. i mean he was like surprisingly not that efficient last year like this year his efficiency has gone back he was amazing last year and people forget it yeah. i think because of how the season ended and that that is what always happens with the blazers and it's the same thing that happens with the raptors every year when you know like the recency bias kicks in people remember them flaming out in the playoffs so people expect that. and i'm guilty of this too i, I said that i thought the blazers were going to fall out of the playoff picture in the west this year Obviously, it's still early, but I think I'm ready to revise that prediction. Like, mm. uh, we forget, I think, that this is still like a really competent regular season teams and teams that have the kind of continuity that the Blazers have with very good players who have played together for a long time. They're always going to be able to out-execute like pretty much every mediocre to bad team in the league, and that's going to lead to a lot of regular season wins. Like, the Blazers haven't played anybody especially good yet so i think you know we have a lot to learn about them still like they beat the pelicans without anthony davis they beat the rockets without james harden so okay. they, they had a nice win in indiana like they beat the pacers pretty handily in indiana um they beat the spurs they split a couple games with the lakers they destroyed the timberwolves which i guess isn't saying much these days but yeah their losses have been a little weird like they lost to the heat um, they lost to the Wizards in OT. That was a bit of a fluke. They, yeah. should, they were winning that and whole then, game. And then, like I said, they split two games to the Lakers. So, yeah, I, I agree. I guess their schedule hasn't been the toughest so far, and we have a lot yeah. to learn. But I, I just think they're just so much better than people gave them credit for. For sure. Year. Lillard's been amazing, and I, and I will echo what Will said about Zach Collins. Like, he's a great, great player. Like, I, I think they badly needed somebody who – like a young player specifically, yeah. I think. Someone had to pop. Who, who was kind of going to give them like a bridge to the future. Like if, if they didn't have one of those guys, like I think they would have had to strongly consider kind of like breaking up that Dame McCollum tandem and, and trying to find like somebody younger to like build a new identity. And I think Collins has given them the, the prospect, I think, of like down the road, uh, you know, potentially a third star to pair with those guys and one that fits with them really well because he can space the floor. And he is, like, a really good defensive player. And he's, he's one of the few young players who you'll watch who is actually, like, a, a really good shot blocker. Yeah. But doesn't gamble to get blocks and, like, gamble his way out of position. Like, he's already a really adept rim protector. Um, and so I think, you know, that was a good find. And I think he's going to kind of help that team build, uh, build toward a, a new identity. Uh, I'm going to hold firm on the Rockets as the second-best team in the West. I think people are overreacting a little bit. I think there is, oddly enough, a bit of a championship hangover type of effect happening to the Rockets where last season they went all out. They played so hard, they um, and they came so close to their goal, right? They spent the whole year devoting themselves to beating the Warriors, and then they're up 3-2 in that series. They lead a halftime in both games, 6 and 7, and then they lose, right? And, like, it's just such a hard thing for them to get back up for the regular season. But, like... If you look at the talent there, the talent is all still right there. Chris Paul is still Chris Paul. James Harden is still James Harden. Clint Capella is not falling off after getting the, his big money. Like, you know, Bizdelic what I mean? is back. Jeff Bizdelic is back. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look, I I had them on his list before Bizdelic uh, made his return. But I mean, like honestly, like yeah, Melo comes in, and you know, Melo's not really great at this point of his career. It is what it is. But like, the team is still kind of the same as last year, right? They just need more energy guys to come in and play defense and James Ennis has been in and out of the lineup so he hasn't really replaced the reason in that sense but 
you know, I, I think part of their poor start really just goes down to, um, you know, CP getting suspended and then James Harden having an injury a little bit like that. And all, when, when all those guys are back, when all those guys find their rhythm and motivation to play, like, they're not going to be a 65-win team like they were last year, but it'll probably be like a 55-win team with, like, the best talent in the conference outside of Golden State. And that's putting aside any crazy trade for Jimmy Butler, which I think they could still swing, apparently, because it seems like the Timberwolves really want Eric Gordon, which is just so weird, man. Like, why are you so thirsty for Eric Gordon? Like, come on. No one even wanted Eric Gordon that badly when he got signed as a free agent. And now it's like we'd rather have Eric Gordon instead of four first-round picks. I mean, that's the Timberwolves for you, though. Yeah, I think the uh, look that I think the Rockets are obviously still a good team. They'll find their way by the end of the year. But I do think, um, like, just like something doesn't look or seem right with that team anymore. Okay. Um, and I think the easy joke to make is it's the mellow effect. Um, but I obviously don't think it's all that. I think there's a lot that goes into it, and um, I just yeah, I don't think they're as good as last year on paper. And the dysfunction at the beginning of the year with the fight and everything that happened like doesn't help that. So. They're, they're digging themselves a bit of an early hole, and I, I don't think that's going to be the difference in like whether they make the playoffs or not, but I do think in the West, you dig that kind of hole, it's a lot harder to just climb back to the two seed. Um, Melo actually hasn't been that bad. The I last two games. The last Offensively. Two, yeah. Offensively, hasn't been that bad. 15 points, 45% from the field, 37% from deep. It's it's not the worst thing in the world. He's, he's just He has not been nearly so good enough offensively to mitigate how bad he has been as expected defensively. And that's the story like that's what it's been the last couple of years and the issue there is look like they can run him out there against bench units for 15 20 minutes a game and like get away with it but the moment that he's out there playing against other starters like he's just going to get picked on and yeah the, the thing that made the Rockets defense so good last year is they would run up these lineups where there wasn't anybody to pick on like even Harden like he would get guys switched onto him and like do a really solid job of like pushing them out of the post like guys would kind of look at that matchup and think that they had a mismatch and like try and post them up and he was strong enough to kind of push them out and like that that was an outcome that the Rockets were happy with um but I think now it's like if you get somebody like a like a guard switched on to Mello like he's just gonna get cooked and like having a weak link out there I think really like has a chain reaction effect that actually severely negative like negatively impacts uh what they're able to do at the defensive end of the floor so Mm. um you know what i think the one thing we're all trying to say with the segment is that there really is no clear number two like you can make an argument for a lot of other teams man um and and to be honest i don't think none of the three of us really feel that strongly about the picks that we made like no and like look i wouldn't i wouldn't be all that surprised to see like the rockets kind of gain some separation as the season goes along and ending up in that number two spot and like also, just like based on what I've watched of them this season, wouldn't be that surprised if they kind of like slumped to like forty nine or fifty wins wow. and like just had an underwhelming season because like it, something there it just like doesn't look entirely right. And again, like I, I I'm with Cash, like you can't put that all on Mello. Um, and and frankly, like you said, you don't think Capella's fallen off. I don't think Capella's been particularly good. Like as really? a rim protector, especially. Okay. Yeah. Like they've had real, real problems. First of all, keeping guys out of the paint, but also like preventing guys from scoring at the rim. Like they have one of the worst opponent field goal percentages at the rim in the entire league. Yeah, they're and, not playing defense with nearly as much vigor as they did last year. No. Like it's very different. It's night and day. But I think that comes down to motivation. I think the talent is still right there for the Rockets, and I think the Rockets are better talent than the Nuggets or Blazers, for ex- for example. Um, in terms of the Eastern Conference, I think we all agree. I think this is the thing. I think we all agree that the Raptors and Celtics are the two best teams in the conference. However, the third best team is a bit, uh, you know, it's up and down. I thought we we thought it was the Sixers, but at least for me personally, I think the Bucks have jumped the Sixers as the third best team in the conference. I mean, really, you can make the case that the Bucks are the best team in the conference that based on the way they played. Um, Boonholzer has done such a great job of revitalizing the Bucks and sort of just introducing a system. Like, when you see their bench guys are producing, guys like Tony Snell, um, I mean, Brogdon is now with the starters, but Brogdon's been playing really well, um, or something like so. But, like, when you see all these, like, periphery pieces playing well, that's always a sign that you have a great coach that's putting in place a system and that they're actually executing the system to consistently get good looks. And it goes beyond, you know, the offensive revolution. Like, they're defensively, they're much more solid. They play conservative. They get rebounds. And uh, and then they run. And then they shoot threes. And then they just they just beat teams over and over again. They are clubbing teams across the head. They just smacked up on the Kings. Like, I think they dropped 144 points on them in regulation. Um, 
the Bucks are the Bucks are for me the third best team right now with a lot of upward mobility. Um, but uh, Wolfon, who is your third best team in the Eastern Conference? I agree with everything you said about the Bucks, uh, which is why to me they're the second best team in the East right now. Okay. And I think the, the Celtics are number three. Wow, the Celtics and by the way just beat the Bucks, so they did. Well, only team so far uh, they, to beat the Bucks. They beat them by four points in a game in which they set a franchise record for made three pointers. So that's true. Um, I'm not going to overreact to that result. Like again, going back to what I was saying about um, about the Nuggets, like I, I'm not necessarily expecting the Bucks by the end of the season to be the number two team in the East. I think. The Celtics still have like a lot of cobwebs to shake off, and I think they're going to be a lot better come season's end. But as of right now, man, like I don't think the Celtics are in the Bucks league, and like not many teams are. If any teams are, like they are executing just like so flawlessly at both ends of the floor. Yeah, they have gotten lucky in a lot of ways at the defensive end of the floor because they are still giving up a lot of clean three-point looks that's what the celtics revealed and the celtics like you know we wrote about this uh when we wrote uh you know our takeaways from that celtics bucks game like there are some pretty significant limits to that defensive scheme that they're playing like they play a deep drop back scheme and especially when uh brooke lopez is out there they really make it a point of dropping him really far back into the paint and a team like the celtics that has a pick and popping big man like horford can really exploit that right um and also you know like teams like the the hornets uh who have a quick guard like kemba who can basically pull up from three at a moment's notice are also going to give them trouble because you know if that guard is a beat slow getting over the screen they're going to be in trouble so it's like right they do have counters and fixes to that like i think you know running Ilyasova at center and and changing up their scheme where they're bringing them up kind of to the level uh, of the screen uh has like yielded some better results uh they have a little bit of flexibility where they don't have to play that scheme all the time and i just think like they they, they have found the right personnel to surround Giannis with finally uh they're utilizing him in the correct way finally just like letting him run the break surrounding him with an army of shooters giving him space to operate like and, and like you say they're bludgeoning teams you know they're beating teams by what like 17 points a night like it, it's it's nuts kind of ridiculous um and you know, uh, maybe they were like light on quality, quality wins, but they beat the Kings, so obviously they're for real. Hey man, the Kings have also looked shockingly decent. Cash, who do you have as the third best team? So, I I still want to say Sixers because I do think that for as bad as they've been, um, or not bad, for as mediocre as they've been so far this season, I think they'll figure it out as the year goes on. Joel Embiid's been great. And I just think at some point they're going to go back to making J.J. Redick the full-time starter. They have to. But, but that also lends itself to the issues that they have with Fultz and even Simmons' shooting and all that. So for now, I'm going to make the case for the Pacers. Um, I think the Pacers are kind of similar to the Blazers. I don't know how many people thought they could replicate what they did last year, but they're off to a good start and trying to. I think they're also 7-3. and three. They just beat the Celtics on the weekend with an insane Victor Oladipo game winner. Oh, man. Oladipo having a great year but it's just like pretty similar to last year so it's not getting the same attention it got he's basically putting up very similar to numbers to last year except he's also now averaging seven rebounds a game out of nowhere like the guys continues to play at an all nba level um the thing with the pacers is i don't even think their other guys have necessarily hit their stride yet like sabonis has been great but miles turner i still think could be a little better um tyreek yeah. evans has been like shooting the ball well but hasn't looked as good as he did last year like they still have some guys who are rounding into form and if Oladipo just keeps doing what he's doing, they they might not even have hit their ceiling yet this season. So, yeah, I I kind of love what the Pacers are doing right now. They're they've lost to the Bucks, so I you know I can't put them in their league. But I sure. put the Pacers above the Celtics right now as the third best team. I'm dropping the Celtics to like four. And again, wow. the conversation will be different come April. But if you're asking me right now, I think the Pacers have been the third best team in the in the East. Yeah, I think the reason people sleep on the Pacers is that like it's just like okay, beyond Victor, what do they have? But like. You don't have to like. You don't need to have two stars in the Eastern Conference to be that great. You just need to have a roster where everyone is cohesive, functioning, and I mean that's like what the Bucks are doing basically, right? Like it's not like anyone else. I mean, Chris Middleton's nice, but like he's 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 all right. He's he's not that good. Um, but like the the whole team just falls in line. And the same thing with the Pacers, man. Like you look at their whole rotation. Everybody is basically between you know thirty one and twenty seven. So everyone is in their prime. Um, and they all just work together. They, they don't have any agendas. Darren Collison and Corey Joseph know what they're doing. Sabonis knows what they're doing. Tyreek has come in. You know, he's you know leading the second unit. He was pretty good in that uh, Celtics game, I thought, in the second half especially. Um, McDermott is a guy who can come in and get some shots. But otherwise, you know, it's, it's not a consistent 
guy who's going to play in the rotation. Bojan is going to you know be the number one guy in terms of their small forward, and he's going to shoot a lot of threes. He's shooting 51% from deep right now, which um, is great. Thaddeus Young is a great you know in-between kind of guy. And then you got Victor. That's it. And like if you have cohesion and you're going to come out night-to-night bases and you're going to um, execute, you're going to win a lot of games in the Eastern Conference. So uh, I just – a couple things with them. Like, obviously, no one loves the Pacers as much as I do, yeah, but... Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to go with them for... You know. Well, so, okay. So, like, a, a couple points of concern. First of all, they're 28th in three-point attempt rate, and they're 27th in free throw rate. So They're also second last in pace. And so, you know, the, and they, they are a team that should be playing fast, too. Like, you think o- so? Absolutely. Ol- Oladipo is one of the best open court players in the league. Okay, to me. Like, yeah. I, I think they should be trying to run more than they are. Okay. Um, and... It's kind of shocking to me that their offense functions as well as it does. Like, obviously, they have, you know, a lot of talent, but, like, they're not getting really, like, high-efficiency shots. They shoot a lot of mid-range jumpers. Like, they weirdly operate out of the post more than I think they should. They'll, they'll like, run, like, Bojan Bogdanovic post-ups and Thaddeus Young post-ups that don't really go anywhere. Um, Now, obviously, like, their two-man game with, like, Oladipo and either one of those bigs, I think, can be really effective. Both those guys can pull up for mid-range. Uh, Turner, we know, can pop to the three, although he hasn't really, like, shot it particularly well yet this season. Uh, Sabonis is really nice on the roll, either, like, scoring on the roll or passing out of it to shooters. But um, their offense is, like, weirdly retrograde, and I just wonder if they can kind of sustain this clip with the way that they're playing right now. You know what it is? I would say the opposite. It's like it's it's kind of refreshing to see a team um, play like this. Like, they basically have a really good team from 2011, except they're playing in 2018. Like, their style for 2011 would have been perfect. And maybe it ultimately comes back to hurt them, but it just fits, like, the personnel that they have. Okay, we're going to quickly end the podcast uh, with the make or miss segment for people who are not familiar. Uh, If you agree with the statement, it's a make. If you disagree, it's a miss. Uh, Starting with this one, Anthony Davis' comments about the Pelicans uh, were a hint that he's planning to leave in 2020. All right, so first clarify what those comments were for. Okay, so AD said, um, you know, if we lose, it's on me. If we win, then they give the team the credit, and I'm fine with that. A perfect example was, you know, against the Warriors. Um, you know, I don't have a good game and we lose. So I got to play almost perfect every night to give us a chance to win. End quote. Like, that sounds kind of ominous. And it, it, it's obviously kind of a jerky thing to say to the rest of your team. I, I'm, so Okay, so hold on. What am I saying is a make or miss? It's, uh, it's a hint that he's planning to leave in 2020. Oh. I, I'll go make. I, I don't know. I, look, I think... It's a weird year for him to say this because this is probably the best roster that Dell Dems and the Pelicans have like built around him. But in general, it's a very um, sound statement in, for his tenure in New Orleans. They just haven't surrounded him with enough talent. So make. I'm gonna call it a make as well. And like, yeah, you can say it was a jerky thing for him to say, but it's 100% been borne out okay. uh, in reality, right? Like as soon as he got injured, they got off to that roaring start, and he goes down, and suddenly they can't win. And he's played in a couple of those games, but I think he's been like clearly compromised by that elbow injury. So I think there there are a lot of red flags here about his future in New Orleans. And like even going back to last year, like he made reference to Kevin Garnett's comments about how he kind of wished that he had gone to the Celtics five years earlier than he did. Mm. And Anthony Davis, in an interview with I think Rachel Nichols, comes out and says, you know, you hear something like that. And it makes you think, like, am I going down that same road? And I think that there is kind of like enough smoke here to think that there's probably a fire and you know i i don't think anyone would really blame him for feeling that way this is like one of the five best players in the nba and he's won one playoff series in his first six years in the league so um i do think there is reason uh, for the pelicans to be concerned um okay we're gonna go to the jimmy butler thing um which we have to talk about every podcast even though it's super annoying and there's nothing to say about this anymore but Make or miss, Jimmy Butler's trade value has decreased since the start of the season. I'm going to call that a make. I think okay. as well as he has played, I just think like the damage that he has done to that team and the way that he has behaved has probably frightened off some teams that might otherwise have been willing to trade for him. Yeah, I think that's an easy make. And even like beyond the damage he's done, like... Um, to Carlton's psyche. Yeah, that that too. But like, just logically, I think every day that goes by and every day that we get closer to, I know it's super early, but every day we get closer to the trade deadline and Jimmy Butler's free agency is a day that he's less valuable as a trade asset. Um, I'm a little bit surprised you guys both said make because, man, the fourth first round draft picks thing, like <laughs> we didn't hear that in the offseason. Maybe that's just a ploy, though, I think. Um, 
But yeah, we'll have to see about Jimmy Butler. I can't wait till he's finally traded, so we don't have to talk about this anymore. Um, make or miss. We overhyped the Jazz, who are four and five right now on the season. They're not very good offensively, and uh, it's kind of underwhelming. It's a. I'm saying this is a miss. Um, look, I, I think it depends on how you rated them. If you fully bought into the way they finished last year and thought they were going to play at like a 70 win pace, then yes, you probably overhyped them. But if you just accepted them as a contender for a top three seed in the Western Conference. I don't think we overhyped them. We're nine games in. Um, yeah, they haven't hit their stride yet, and they haven't looked as good as they did during that run. But the ingredients are all still there. They're still extremely well coached, and they still have great defensive talent and a lot of like wing depth. And Donovan Mitchell, who's hurt right now, like they'll be fine. And you know, we talked about that race for the second seed in the West. Like all due respect on the jazz all due respect to the teams that we mentioned like denver portland like no one's going to run away with this those teams are going to fall back to earth a little bit the rockets are off to an even worse start than the jazz are i think they'll be fine i just to play devil's advocate i'll call it a make um for one specific reason which is that i i don't think donovan mitchell is making the kind of leap that a lot of people expected him to make and I think it was totally fair to assume that he was going to make that leap just because of how he finished that season and how he was able to carry that over into the playoffs against elite competition. But to me, like, he's kind of been forcing things a little bit so far. Very, like very much forcing. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. His rhythm just looks a little bit off to me right now. I'm still really high on the Jazz's future. I just think that maybe we expected it to come a year earlier than it actually is going to. Um, but I do really like the pieces on that team. And I think just, you know, having a two-man core of Mitchell and Rudy Gobert sets them up really nicely. Uh, I love Joe Ingles, obviously. Um, and, you know, I think that's a, team that, has, that team, <laughs> that's a team that has a lot of wing depth. Um, and, and that's going to serve them well over the course of the season. I just don't know, again, if they're going to ascend into that class as being like, you know, the second or third best team in the conference just yet. Yeah. Um, the one concern with Donovan Mitchell right now is he's averaging a very Wiggins-esque 22 points on 42% shooting and 31% from the field uh, without going to the free throw line that much. I think he's way better than Wiggins, but right now that's basically the level he's playing at. And between that and also uh, Ricky Rubio kind of falling off a little bit, uh, his percentages are back down again. Yeah. You know Rubio is going to have that like six-week stretch, though, where he just sure. randomly shoots the lights out, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I would say they've been a little underwhelming right now. Um, next one, make or miss. Omri Caspi's Sham God crossover was the most unexpected move of all time. Miss. People are going to think it's only because he's Italian, but I'm going to go with Andrea Bargnani's crossover of Amari Stoudemire. Okay. <laughs> you got to explain that one. That doesn't immediately conjure anything. The only thing I think about him. It Andrea shouldn't is... conjure anything. It's Andrea Bargnani, and his career con- should conjure nothing but. The stench of disappointment. Oh. Um, but he had a nice crossover it's on Amari, personal. It's on Amari nice. Stoudemire once, and I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm going to call this a make, man. This was one of the things that I like, certainly just like did not see coming at all. And I don't think anything could have prepared me for the fact that Omri Caspi randomly had that move in his toolkit. Like... I don't even think I've seen him like take more than two dribbles at a time, like let alone turn somebody inside out like that. Yeah. Uh, also, I think we all collectively forgot that Armory Cass was still in the league. Like after that year with the Warriors, it was like it was so bad. And it's like, oh, he's on the Grizzlies now, and he's doing the Sham God. It's like out of nowhere. I would also say, by the way, shout out to the time Yao Ming put it behind his back in transition against Sharif Abdul-Rahim. That was, that was very slick. That was very slick. What's also surprising to me is, like, Caspi was on the Warriors last year, and you figure, like, yeah, if you're he, ever going to see, terrible. like, a role player, like, randomly, like, pulling out, like, ridiculous, like, behind-the-back dribbles, and, and uh, like, I just feel like you, you see them, like, showboating on the Warriors more than you see them doing that on any other team because they kind of, like, have the latitude to do it, and they're on a team that kind of values doing fun, creative stuff with the ball. So uh, it's funny that, like, he kind of disappeared in Golden State and then goes to Memphis and suddenly like doing stuff like that yeah uh, and then last one let's end on the Suns which is a very strange place to end but make or miss the Suns were right to decline Dragon Bender's fourth year option um, just reminder that by the way that they drafted Dragon Bender fourth overall and they're not even going to pick up his fourth year option yeah I will call it a miss I, I don't really get why they wouldn't pick up his fourth year option like what do they need the money for what are they saving? Like, honestly, they are not going to do anything with that cap space. Maybe, like, Dragonbender is going to amount to zilch, and they probably know more about Dragonbender as a basketball player than any of us do. I mean, not probably. They definitely do. Like, he, he's yeah. been part of their organization for three seasons now. But, like, I kind of feel like you're pot committed with this guy. Like, you picked him fourth overall. And, like, I don't know. What good does it do you to decline that option? Which is still, like... 
you're giving yourself a chance to basically have a year of cheap production and then have his rights to basically lock him up long term if he shows enough promise. He's still what twenty one years old. Yeah. So what's what's the point of cutting bait on him this early to save what like seven million dollars? He's and, basically Bruno, Bruno Caboclo, except he got picked fourth overall. He got picked fourth overall, and yeah, that sucks if like you think that you picked him fourth and he's not going to be a player, but like at least give yourself a chance to yeah. find out, like give yourself another year's worth of data point to decide whether like he's going to be anything or not. Why like cut bait with him when he's 21? The problem with Robert Sarver's sons, much like we discussed with Dan Gilbert's Cavs early in the year, is that like he's usually delusional about the roster that um, plays for his team, and this is another example that like he Robert Sarver and like the staff he's put in place seem to think that this team is ready to compete and they're not no and they should still be in the player development game and yeah Benner's probably going to amount to nothing but like like you guys mentioned what are they going to use that money on next like no one's going there to like propel this team you know as a free agent acquisition from like the doldrums to contention it's not happening so that six seven million whatever it is could have been better spent just still trying to at least find some, maybe you develop into a half decent player that ends up becoming a trade asset like you just never know right and to let him walk for nothing essentially and it's the same thing with orlando and mario hozonia last year like they declined his fourth year option and it's like you pick this guy fifth overall like you already have so much invested in him like what is one more season at a low price point relatively speaking where you're not going to be able to use that money for anything else anyway i just i don't really get it and like can we just go back and revisit the Suns' 2016 draft for a minute? It's so bad, man. They take Bender fourth overall. They trade up to take Marquis Chris eighth overall. They traded the 13th pick, the 28th pick, and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who looks like a player. And now Chris is out the door, traded for peanuts. Bender, they decline his fourth-year option. Tyler Eulis, who they picked 34th overall in the second round. Just randomly cut. For was waived. Um, man, I, like... I know the timing of the firing was pretty strange, but Ryan McDonough, jeez. Yeah, woof. Yeah, and that's a classic uh, reminder of tanking doesn't always work, man. I, you need good management to tank. I will throw in, just so we have a way to segue to that Stephen A. Smith clip. You know, we're talking about the Suns and like Ryan McDonough getting fired. That's usually what happens to general managers who build very <laughs> bad teams over the course of a few years. When it happens over the course of 15 years and a guy still has his job, I just can't do it with these wizards anymore, guys. Well, with that, uh, that brings an end to the podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to Cash and Wolfhound for being on the podcast. And uh, we'll leave it to Stephen A for one last word. The damn Washington Wizards. I'm calling you out. I'm so sick of these people. You know. Ooh.